0: Hi, guys. This is God Sad for the Sad Truth. Uh, One of the beautiful things about the internet is it allows me to uh, get to know people that uh, just a few days earlier I didn't know of. And now I can consider myself a fan of his, uh, my recent discovery of his word. Uh, Luai Ahmed, how do I pronounce that? How are you doing?
1: That was perfect pronunciation. Uh,
0: Well, we met, I think uh, someone had tagged me online saying, you need to speak to this gentleman. So I went and did a little deep dive into some of your recent English content. I said, oh, this seems like a person that I want to invite on my show. So thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Maybe we could start off with who you are so that people can get a sense of anything that you're going to talk about, whether you have the expertise to be able to talk about it. Take it away.
1: Uh, thank you very much. First, I want to say thank you for having me. I've been a huge fan for a very long time. So it's such a privilege for me to be talking to you right now, even though as a brown person, I should not be feeling very privileged. But these are one of those nice moments. Um, so my name is Loi Ahmad. I grew up in Yemen. I left Yemen in 2014. Um 20, I was 20 years, uh, I was 20 years old back then, and then I moved to Sweden. Uh, I grew up in a very politically driven family. My father was a leader in a Nasserite political party that was a pan, uh, pan-Arab nationalist. He was an extremely pro-Palestine, uh, the Israel can go to hell kind of guy. And my father passed away when... Uh, In 1998, and my mother was a is still a human rights activist and a feminist activist. My mother, the best way I could describe my mother as is, she used to walk as as a child. She used to walk through crowds of women, women being completely, you know, covered in black, while she's the only woman who's dressed in different colors and her hair is flying out, and. As such, she always made a statement with her presence, but also with her activism and her work. She worked with the UN, she worked with SIDA, she worked with multiple of inter- international organizations to highlight the, the importance of women's issues in Yemen and in the Middle East. She was married off when she was eight years old, and uh, she was brought up in this conservative family with islamic values and then she had to grow up and fight for her rights and uh, she educated herself in egypt she sought education she learned english she became a westernized whore the citation. Yes,
0: yes, um,
1: yes. and throughout her activism and this is funny because we, we we will circle back to this but throughout her activism she was always accused of being a zionist and being an irani backed Uh, activist who's trying to ruin Islam and trying to ruin the Yemeni culture, even though the only things that she fought for were no violence towards women. Stop oppressing women. Don't marry women off on their children.
0: But sorry, I'm a bit confused. Before you go on, I'm a bit confused because I heard in my women's studies courses at Oberlin College that uh, Islam is the feminist religion. So how is it that your mother has a completely different perspective where she's getting the wrong idea of course the islamophobic idea that islam could mistreat women that makes no sense how do you how do you explain that
1: so my mom became a bit of a, a quran scholar because she had to fight the islamists <laughs> And she, you know, she doesn't have the hijab and she has all of these sheikhs and imams telling her she's gonna to go to hell, she needs to hide. So she had to study the Quran and become an imam herself where she could use the finest interpretations of the religion. So, for example, in the in the verse in the Quran that says the woman, women, men should beat women, the word that is used in that verse, Wadrubuhen, my mom was able to find out that the, the word beat is also used in hundreds of numerous ways in the Quran, and it's never to use violence but rather to throw or abandon or so so she used to always find these very progressive interpretations to to kind of like highlight a beautiful version of islam and the Quran. and my mother also believed in uh, disregarding the vast majority of the hadiths because you know there are more than three hundred thirty thousand hadiths they, there are even millions of hadiths according to some interpretations so my mother always tries to to focus on, on a progressive and illuminating islam that respects women's rights that respects minorities rights and, and that was her activism but then 2014 i i received an invitation by the ulof palm center which is the social democratic center for education and uh, my invitation i was have always been an activist and loud so i was a part of the yemeni revolution uh, which I regret very deeply, even though I was a part of it as an independent voice who used to go out and carry signs that say equality, human rights, and women's rights. But looking back at it, the revolution was high I was naive. I was young. I was uh I had a vision for a revolution that could change, you know, the, the Arab Spring brought about. A sense of change, and we could actually change our society. So, in my mind, in my very naive mind, I thought that we were fighting for change, and we were, but it was a horrible change. Uh, but I, I was, you know, active in these circles, in, in change squares, calling for human rights, women's rights, just like my mother. And um in 2013, my mom became a spokesperson for the national dialogue in Yemen, which was like kind of a transitional. parliament between the the older government that was um uh dethroned and then the coming uh parliament and because of her high position being the spokesperson um we received death threats from al-qaeda my family like al-qaeda came out with a list of people that they wanted to kill and my mom was one of these people and one of the reasons that my mom was put in the al-qaeda list because she voted in one of the committees to not have the quran and the hadith be the main source uh, the main source of all yemeni laws what they proposed was the sharia and the quran would be the source of the laws but not all the laws they argued for example traffic laws in prophet muhammad's days there were there was no traffic so you can't derive that from from the quran and al uh, Qaeda did not like that so they wanted to to kill my family so Three months later, I got this uh, invitation from uh, the the Ulof Palm Center to come to Sweden and talk about the revolution. But when I got the, the the invitation, my mom had advised me and told me, "Why don't you seek asylum? Because you know we, we, we <laughs> Al-Qa- you you have legitimate reasons, a well-founded fear of persecution." And I told her, "No, I'm not going to do that." But then I went back to my room and I started to think about. Everything that makes me myself and all the my identity that I have been forced to shove down the, uh, under the table and not face and not admit to myself, which is I, I'm not your typical Muslim. I don't. At that point, I had stopped believing in Allah and stopped believing in in, in all the fables of Islam. And I also I'm not heterosexual, which would also lead to a death penalty. So like I could write you a list of all of the things that would lead to a death penalty in Yemen. So then I decided I'm going to go to to Sweden. And I a big part of me regrets that (laughs) because Sweden turned out to be
0: another Islamic country.
1: (laughs) It is pretty much another Islamic country, but from a liberal point of view, And it's it's I'm actually very worried and scared because I've seen how Islam has destroyed my country. And now I see how the radical socialist socialist leftism and and the hypocrisy of the politicians is destroying Sweden. So right now, what the Swedish politicians are saying, the social democratic politicians and the leftist sayings was deemed as far right and Nazi three years ago, even. So this shift where they do not recognize what they have done with their country and they're just trying to move quickly. Uh, into this fast realization of we have to fix Sweden is just so disgusting to me. But anyway, I work as an opinion journalist in Sweden and uh, in the uh, newspaper bulletin. Uh, It's an independent, liberal, conservative newspaper. And I around two months ago, three months ago, I just decided that I'm so tired of Sweden uh, or I'm, I'm tired of the Swedish discourse and I need to voice myself in English because I can't speak and write in English. And I wanted to reach out and kind of like have more of a European Western, uh, because I know that my voice and the things that I have to say are not just only censored to Sweden. There are a lot of countries that, that face the same struggles. Sweden is just the extreme, <laughs> uh, but other countries also face these problems with Islamic ra- radicalization, with an incessant constant migration that that is not going to lead to any integration and i i kind of feel like i should lift sweden up i stopped saying sweden stop doing what you're doing but i kind of like lift sweden up and look at the rest of the world or the, the rest of the west and say this is what you shouldn't do <laughs> this is just a, a prime example of how liberal extreme liberal policies could destroy your country in less than 10 years
0: All right, Uh, a lot of stuff to unpack there. Uh, Of course, for those of you who may have not understood my sarcasm when earlier I talked about Islam being a feminist religion, I was joking. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that uh, Mr. Ahmed understood that. Uh, I I really, one of the things that I find very difficult uh, to get through to people, and that's why I enjoy talking to folks who who do speak Arabic, I speak Arabic, I speak Arabic. I said that I speak Arabic, you speak Arabic, we can speak to each other in Arabic. People can't say that we're misunderstanding, mistranslating, misinterpreting. We come from that region. We can quote all the things in Arabic. People will say, oh, but, you know, like how your mother was trying to do. But, you know, no, if you interpret the darab, you know, uh, hitting, it really means hitting with caresses. When it says kill the Jew, it really means kill the Jew with kindness. So there are all sorts of Olympic level, type of mental gymnastics that you could engage in to try to protect the faith. Whereas in reality, while of course, millions and millions of Muslims might be perfectly kind and lovely and peaceful, but they are kind, lovely, and peaceful, not because it's Islam that made them that way. It's because the random combination of their genes is that, you know, there are good people and bad people of any faith and of no faith. But how can we but by we, I mean people like you and me who come from that background, who understand the religion, who speak the language. How could we try to convince the Western mind that there are so many tenets of Islam that are perfectly antithetical to our most foundational Western values? How can we do that?
1: You know, I, I've been I've been an activist. I've been writing in Swedish for the past four years, and i really have arrived to the conclusion that the the most um effective way that the west can realize this is with with the current situation a, a huge demographic change where the, the the a huge part of europe has to be muslim and islamic for the West to realize this, I feel like that is the only way, because right now in Sweden, no, I'm not saying that that is what should happen, but I'm saying that that's probably the only thing that would lead the West to wake up, because I feel like the in the past three years, there's been a different awakening in the Swedish society, because before there was this complete deafening misunderstanding of islam and the islamic culture but after the quran burnings and after what's going on with people running around saying gas the jews kill the jews annihilate um israel swedes are now waking up and they're seeing what the what is what the islamic culture actually stands for and i do think that when it comes to islam as a religion the main problem that the west does not understand is that the main islamic region has not gone through the enlightenment era or the industrialization or this conscious awakening of of reality because most people in the islamic culture still live in the realm of islam and in the realm of muhammad i mean i grew up in school for 12 years all i heard about my mom was actually telling me how much I hated school because I had to be, uh, carry this gigantic backpack that was full of 15 books and huge books. And half of them were about Muhammad and Aisha and Asir al-Nabawiyah and faq
0: Aisha, and... whom he married when she was nine, which is similar to the age that your mother was married at. Correct?
1: Of course. And, and of course, Islam is used to justify these atrocities. Uh, because you'll have people telling you that Islam has nothing to do with this, but you and I know that because we see and we hear how they use Islam to justify the these actions, and uh, so like I think it's just so hard for me. The bigger issue, like like trying to wake the West up, I think the West is going to wake up sooner or later. I think the bigger issue at hand is how to wake the Islamic communities up, because if we're going to talk numbers, the Islamic community is is growing by by a lot you know it's the difference between how many how much how many babies swedes are having and how many yemenis and palestinians and and muslims are having is huge and the bigger issue there becomes how do we find a way in order to make the islamic region go through the same kind of enlightenment but i I don't before
0: you go on forgive me let me let me stop you i no problem i don't so i'm going to come out with my pessimistic view and If you have a different view, then please correct me. I don't think that the the doctrines of Islam could ever allow for a meaningful reformation. So it's not as though in the past 1400 years, there haven't been any imams and Islamic scholars who haven't thought about reformation. But unlike other religions where the light of reformation can get through, Islam says, right, it is the final inerrant word of God that needs to be changed it's not a syllable, that it's literal it's final, it's inerrant so yes, you can play the games that your mom was trying to play with no, no, but it is feminist uh, beating means beating with love but that takes so much mental gymnastics the only reformation I could see uh, uh, I was going to say Ahmed, but that's your last name uh, Luai. is that you would have to have an abrogation. Uh, so, it, for, for, for let me just mention this for our viewers who may not know this. Of, of course, you would know this, but others may not. In 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 Islam, there's Muhammad had two periods: the Meccan period and the Medinan period. Meccan period, you have your religion, I have mine, peace and love. And in that period, he wasn't able to attract many adherents to come to the religion. He moves to Medina. The message becomes a lot less peaceful and hippie and loving, and it becomes unbelievably violent. So now there is a problem within the the religion. uh, How could God say A and then later say not A? That contradiction is resolved by the mechanism of abrogation. Whenever there's a contradictory statement, the later statement abrogates the earlier statement. Well, what you need to do now is come up with a new abrogation that abrogates every single of the violent things. So it's not sitting there and saying, Well, in the hadith, this thing, let's redefine it, let's remassage it. It has to be one wholesale blanket statement. Otherwise, you could never have reformation. What are your thoughts about what I just said?
1: I I think, sadly, the sad truth is that you're absolutely right. Um, the, The main issue, and this is something that I've struggled with ever since I was a kid, is that every word in the Quran is God's literal words. For my entire, you know, ever since I was like twelve or thirteen, I've been very comic. I used I, I make a lot of jokes about that, you know, no holds barred. And once I started making jokes about God and Allah and Muhammad, and my cousins and my family, they went feral. You cannot make jokes. Even in school, I tried to. I asked my my Islamic teacher, "Can you make uh, jokes and ta- make fun of God, of God? Because God is the one who created humor, so He has to have the sensibility to understand it." But th- that was one of the moments w- w- where I realized that people do not really see God is in the eyes of the Islamic community is not this God, all knowing, intelligent a sentient being but rather a very aggressive and violent entity that tries to control people's thoughts and sadly that is the case and i think that what what, what one of my first awakenings when i came to, to sweden was i was in a refugee camp and you know i was happy i'm like now i'm in the west everything is fine and suddenly the charlie hebdo attack happens and i saw that Every almost everybody in the refugee camp was celebrating the the, the murders that happened, and I, I, I was insanely mad. I I thought, how the hell? In my head, I was just picturing future civil wars because if this is the community, if this is the community that is going to come here and be welcomed and and grow, then there will be a huge discrepancy between the beliefs and the ideas that are withheld, and I really. I was also naive when I first moved to Sweden because I thought, I really thought this, just like the liberals think, that that people who move to the West want to become westernized, want to be a part of the secular openness, open-mindedness. But alas, I moved to Sweden and I realized that actually the majority of the people that I've met and I've engaged with have no intention whatsoever of becoming Swedish and European and adapt to to the secular and liberal thought of debate and discussion. But it's the same vile and violent mechanism at play. And it's really, really sad.
0: Where do you think you... Sorry, by the way, I told you offline that I'm super, super sick with a very nasty code. Uh, called But uh I didn't want to reschedule. I was very excited for us to hold the chat. So for any of you who are watching this and seeing me struggle, my apologies. Do you think that you got your courage, your irreverence, your activism, your 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 sense of honesty when you see things as they are is that coming straight direct line from your mom? Or is this the I mean is it is it all attributed to your mom or is there was there a particular pivotal moment where you said, wait a second, these stories I'm reading it's in, in the Quran or in the Hadith or in the Seerah, uh, I'm not really. What's the catalyst that made you say, no, I can't handle this?
1: I, th- I think there's definitely a, g- a genetic lineup in it. Like I, I definitely I'm like my mother in many ways. She she grew up in an extremely misogynistic society. And then she she said, no, I will not take this <clears throat> for me. I grew up in a my, my, my lens was not just seeing a misogynistic society that wished death on my mother and, and had hundreds of, and maybe more than thousands of comments on her Facebook and her social media. She has no social media now, but when she was active on social media, she used to get hundreds and thousands of messages of hate, death threats, and all of that. And I think she just looked at that. I, you know, she led by example because she saw all of those uh, all that hatred and all that threat. And she said, no, that I have a bigger fight. There, there are, Women who are getting married off now at the age of nine and ten, and I do not want them to go through what I went through. And I, I she did not want that to be repeated. And for me, it's the same thing. I, I don't want children to go to Muslim schools and learn that if they're homosexual, that they're going to be killed by their societies, and then they're going to burn in hell for eternity. I don't want people to be silent; that their thoughts become silenced. Because I remember one of the, in biology class, I I used to, but I still love biology, and. When we sit in class in a f- first day of school, we the teacher tells us to open the biology class to chapter fifteen or sixteen on the first day, and he says cross out these chapters. And funnily, like I used to cross them, but I never had like that sense of curiosity of reading because I'm like, okay, great, we're just crossing out chapters. That's that's great. But all of the chapters, the chapters that we used to cross out every year were evolution, uh, yes. evolution, yes. and scientific, uh, and scientific. Uh, 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 scientific theories that go against the Quran and in one of the classes the teacher said actually like I joked with you on Twitter but on X but it it is true my teacher told me that it's the Jews are behind the the evolution theory and that's why we don't read it it's an attempt to attack Islam fast forward to, to when I was 18 and I started reading books it was through evolution that I was able to shatter all of my prior beliefs and like it was like they i cut out my beliefs from the roots and i started like searching for knowledge searching for the truth
0: do you think uh, i know that when we were uh, chatting with each other on twitter uh, privately you said that uh the the game that i've put a name to 6 degrees of jew whereby any calamity on earth could be blamed on the jews in 6 or fewer causal steps that's a game that you were you've been you've known and if you've played your entire life do you think, since you're in Sweden, this my having put a name on that game could get me the Nobel Peace Prize?
1: <laughs> I think that it should give you. Get you the thank Nobel you, Prize. sir. Thank
0: you. No, but we're yeah. joking. But I, I truly don't think. I, I, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for decades, where I'm warning people, trying to explain to them, people don't have a sense of how much the definition of a person in the region that you and I come from, is completely defined by Jew hatred. There are two sources of energy. There is the oil in the ground that in the Gulf countries we can use to fuel things, but there is an even bigger source of energy, more renewable. It's called Jew hatred. Can you explain to our super liberal Western friends why that is the case, how it is the case, so they could finally understand it?
1: um i just love how what sorry for going off topic but what i love most about you is that you you preach so much truth and you have so much knowledge but you're also very hilarious that's like one of the best things about you thank you sir um but uh yes i mean (laughs) hating jews runs in my blood what i mean no i mean sorry let me don't don't take that but like I grew up in a society where since I was a baby, since I was a child, we had like Palestinian flags. Every store (coughs) that you enter in Yemen has, you know, you donate to Palestine. Everybody has the uh, Palestinian scarf. My father was, you know, a part of a party where you had the Palestinian flags everywhere. And every, you know, in school, we, we have this assembly in the morning where you have to exercise and we have to, you know, recite the Quran and the national anthem with everybody. And we also recite hatred towards Jews and, and, and Israel in mosques. I learned to hate Jews where, you know, I would be sitting and after the Friday prayer and we're all saying, May the Islamic nation be well. Amen. May the Islamic world find peace. Amen. May God make every Jew fatherless. I mean. And I remember the first time when, when I started realizing this, it was like, I felt this cognitive dissonance of like, wait, those are human beings. And we're sitting well, here. Well, we're, we're not sure that they're
0: human <laughs> beings. You're being very generous, but go ahead.
1: Well, there, there's this collective dehumanization of Jews. So and I see this like reflected on the war right now, because you know my mother is completely pro palestine she she does not hate jews she's a very progressive intelligent woman but i stop her every time and i tell her like when she she keeps talking about the the genocide that's happening in 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 gaza and then i tell her mom i like have you ever spoken this passionately about the genocides that are happening in our country or other countries or no i've never seen you speak with so much um Uh, With so much Hamas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because, by by the way, of course, you understand the joke, but for the rest of the people who don't understand, Hamas means with fervor and zeal. So that's a play on words, but go ahead.
1: That was perfectly put. Yeah, she speaks with so much Hamas about Hamas. (laughs) And it's true. And then I told her, but like, and then she did tell me a story. I, I told her a story about the first time I met a Jew in Sweden in a student house. And he told me, like, I'm from Israel. And w- once he said, I'm from Israel, I felt like my body turned into, you know, when cats see, like, dogs or any other animals, th- their hair stands up completely. Yeah. I felt like the same thing happened to me. And I'm an Arab, so that's a lot of hair. And I I I really thought... Don't make me he- laugh. I'm going to start coughing. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> and then Go I... I I looked at him and my initial reaction was, are we going to fight now? Is he going to start punching me? Because I was like, I'm from Yemen. And then he told me, oh, Yemen, I know people from Yemen. I will make you the best Yemeni bread. Yemeni people are so awesome. And I just stood there in complete shock because he just slapped me in the face with, with his kindness and friendliness. And we became really good friends. And that was the first Jew and the first juju. <laughs> ah, you know that story. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And um, so it was, it, I had to like work with my anti Semitism from then, where, because I, I, you know, I believe in human rights. I, ever since I was a teenager, I've been like fighting against all of these ideas I've been brainwashed into, but I've h- had myself really understand the anti-Semitism from completely different points of view after working in the media. But I I need to tell this, I need to tell you the story of this Muslim girl who came to Sweden one year after I came to Sweden. And my family called me and told me, hey, there's a Yemeni girl who's going to come to Sweden. We want you to help her out, you know, find her a place and all of that. When I first met her, she was wearing the hijab, I pulled out my hand and I was like, hi. She refused to shake my hand. I got angry. I told her, Selwa, her name is not Selwa, but let's say her name is Selwa. I was like, Selwa, nobody will accept you here. People will pull out your scarf. People will will spit at you here if you do not accept like shaking their hands or being accepting the society. I swear to you that I started like having this conversation with her when I met her. But, you know, in a very kind, funny way, she was laughing. And I told her, no, you cannot do this. Like, you will not be able to find a job. You came here to to run away from our society. And trust me, everything we've learned is false. You will see that people here are respected. Women here are respected. No man in Sweden is going, no Swedish man, sorry. No Swedish man is going to harass you because in Yemen, there's like an insane uh, epidemic of harassments and sexual harassments on the streets where women get harassed Almost every day on the street. So I was telling her this and then she was like, no, look, I just came here. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to integrate. So please take it easy on me. And I was like, okay, we became friends. And around two years later, she found this uh, through this uh, coffee shop uh, where you learn Swedish. She found a woman who took her in into her home and she was still like hardcore muslim back then this woman took her into her home she found her a job she taught her swedish she lived under her under her roof for 2 years uh, learned swedish worked in uh, in sweden uh this woman used to make her breakfast lunch dinner she she washed her clothes washed the apartment she really treated her like a queen and then to, uh after that one day they were sitting on a table and um they were having drinking wine she was not drinking wine of course everybody was drinking wine, just having like a lovely uh pander conversation and suddenly a guy told the, the woman the, the hostess her friend he told her so wait you're you're eating uh bacon uh, what happened to you being kosher and the woman was like ah and then he and and she and the Selwa was like what do you mean she was like oh she you know she's jewish she's not supposed to be drinking that and Selwa looked at her she was like no no no, you're not Jewish," she told her. "Yeah, I am actually Jewish." Salwa got off of her chair, went to the bathroom, and broke down. She cried nonstop for two to three hours and had one of the biggest mental breakdowns because her 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 like the, an angel. She used to, to call this woman an angel. So like the devil, the Jew turned perfect out to be perfect Turned out <laughs> to be an angel, and Salwa now does not wear the scarf. She's like she's open-minded, so like it, it. She had she had to have her cognitive dissonance destroyed by actually meeting a juju, a juju, <laughs> and a, a juju. Uh, for
0: for the people who don't know the story, I'm going to repeat it only because uh, they may not know what you're referencing. So this is this story refers to my first semester when I was a doctoral student at Cornell, where I was hanging around with a bunch of uh, Arabic guys. Uh, most of them were Lebanese. And uh, we'd play soccer together and so on. And one day, one of the guys in question invited me out for a coffee. And so we went for coffee. And actually, during I, I don't know if I've mentioned this part of the story, the, the juju story. The first thing he told me, he goes, you know, you're intaktir zeki, God. You're very smart, God. I said, okay. He goes, so why aren't you converting to Islam then? So he couldn't understand how someone could be intelligent realized that the one true faith existed and yet still resisted so once i told him our 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 coffee get together was not going to go well if he was going to continue with his bullshit he then turned to me and said so there comes the juju he goes you know god i i really like you i think he said you're you're you know you're fun you're you're lovely you know i said oh why are you saying it as if you're surprised like you there is a bit of oh i know is it is it because i'm jewish and he goes no but come on god you're not a jew jew and then i said but no i am i'm a jew 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 he goes no no but you're not you know what i mean and so this that story and thank you for bringing it up for those people who don't know it it perfectly captures the mindset both of your friend in sweden and my friend in at cornell that it can't be possible that I could meet a Jew and actually him being nice and lovely and I like him and so on. So the only way in my case he could reconcile that is that I wasn't really an authentic Jew. First of all, I was too good of a soccer player to be a Jew. And second of all, <laughs> I was Arabic, and therefore that, that's not really a Jew Jew. But that so then what is the solution then? Is it that you have to make all people meet all other people to break down, because that's going to take, I mean, we don't have enough time to have 2 billion Muslims meeting 15 million Jews. How do we get around
1: all that? (laughs) I I think it's such a brilliant story, because it also shows how people view Jews in such a light that even, but I I think the, the Salwa story, it's because she actually got to know the Jew, 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 and fell in love with the Jew, 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 Jew and and that's why she couldn't separate it. You, your friend only met you for a coffee, so so like he was still able to see you as a not a juju. Right. And yeah, but you know, I wanted to actually ask you this question because I was reading a book by <coughs> Hassan Hanafi who's a, a, an Egyptian professor and uh, the book is called Islam in the Modern World, I think. And he proposes he believes that the main reason why Islam is not reforming and it's not going to reform it's not because uh, of that uh, the Quran is the word of God. Because you know the Christians three hundred years ago, four hundred years ago, believed in the Bible just as much as the Muslims believe in them now. So he, he, his premise was that, like, um, he pretty much says the fact that the West progressed and the West achieved all of its scientific and and technological advancements, it made the the Arab world and the Muslim world jealous. Yes. And the, the the exact response that happens at jealousy is resentment, anger, hatred, everything that, you know, uh, you know, as we come from this culture, anything that the West does, we, we oppose it. Anything the West says is good, we say it's bad. And and that so he he argues that it's not necessarily the religion, but it's the culture that we have failed as a culture, as a civilization. And therefore, we have to act as kind of like a mirror to the West.
0: So I, I I buy that I think it's both it's not either or I think there's elements of both look envy as as you know is one of the seven deadly sins right the seven deadly sins exist and have stood the test of time because they really do capture some of the darker elements of our human nature right even even the 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 bible has in one of the 10 commandments don't covet your neighbor's wife well coveting covet Covetousness is envy, you have something I don't. I'm angry now, there is a positive emotion to envy whereby it compels me to work harder to get what you have. You know, my neighbor has the fancy car and and the the beautiful house and so on. Maybe if I work harder, I could resolve my sense of envy towards him, but there is a dark side to envy exactly to your point, which is why is it that I've been going to the mosque? for my entire life where I'm told I am the the true believer and those people are the kuffar, they're nejes, they're impure, they're disgusting. And yet those people that Muhammad told us repeatedly about how evil they are, we have to get rid of Arabia of the Jews, promise me the hadith that says we will find the Jew hiding behind the tree, all of that stuff. And yet those assholes seem to be you know, winning at everything. Just a few days ago, I don't know if you saw. I put up a a histogram of the the number of Nobel prizes by Jews and what percentage they constitute. Not number of no. Now people didn't take that and say, "Wow, that's a powerful." I mean, that's just a fact, right? It's just I- I'm not, and I of course I put sarcastically, it's Islamophobic. But then many people wrote to me in anger, saying how nasty I was for pointing to that. So rather than look inward and say, well, wait a second, we're 2 billion people. We have four Nobel prizes. They're 15 million people, and they've got a hell of a lot more Nobel prizes. What is it that we can do to resolve the question? Now, I tell the story. I don't know if you know the story. I discussed it in The Parasitic Mind. Look, the the achievement of the of Jews or 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 any phenomenon could either come from nature or nurture. And the question becomes how much of it is due to what? So, of course, there is some research that shows on average Jews have higher IQs, blah blah blah. But I'll put all that aside. Let's just talk about the culture of learning and excellence, which could be accessible to anyone, right? Could be accessible if I'm Mongolian or if I'm from New Zealand or if. Well, so when I finished, I did my undergrad in uh, mathematics and computer science, and then I did an MBA. Uh, and I did a mini thesis in operations research, applied mathematics. I- I'm saying this because it's relevant to the story, not to sh- share my CV. After I finished my MBA, my brother, one of my brothers who lived in California, Southern California at the time, was interested in getting me to work with him for a few years. And so he wanted me to maybe take a break from pursuing my PhD next. And he was trying to convince me, why don't you come work with me, put on the suit, and then you could go back to your studies. Well, when my mother heard that my brother was trying to convince me to not pursue my PhD, when I returned to Montreal after visiting him in California, she takes me to a side room, very concerned. And she goes, I want to talk to you, God. I said, okay, what's what's up, mom? She goes, I hear that you're thinking about taking a break. Do you know what people are going to talk about us if they know that you're somebody who dropped out of school? So from my mother's perspective, having an an undergrad in mathematics and computer science and MBA and stopping then and not going on for your PhD would bring great shame to the family. I mean, people are going to think you're somebody who had no education. So that shows you the standard that you see in every single Jewish home, learning, 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 learning. Now, of course, there are millions and millions and millions of incredibly accomplished and incredibly educated Muslims, but they certainly, uh, the the Hamas guys are certainly not spending their their money on building uh, a university in Gaza, but spending it on killing the Jews. So Could that be a way if we can inculcate this deep reverence and love of learning, we can close the gap between the Islamic and Jewish worlds?
1: Yes and no. I think no, the real answer is no, no, but but here here, I think because, you know, many of the ISIS fighters were doctors and engineers. Uh, True. So you can't say that education could heal an ideological cancer. But what, what you say about education, well, intelligence is a very important thing and, and a key in, in accomplishing in accomplishments, but also hard work. So th- there was, you know, people are trying to understand why in Sweden, how come? And also one of the reasons that Sweden has taken in around 2 million people in the past 20, 25 years it's not only just because swedes you know are naive and good hearted and they wanted to save the world and be you know the ubermensch what 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 happened mm-hmm. is that in in the, after the iranian revolution the 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 super educated people iranians the, the elites of the educated iranians fled to Sweden so Sweden had a taste of Jewish Iranians if you will right. so when when they received a the flood of these very well accomplished Iranians who focus on education because education and pursuing education is one of the most important steps into actually you know succeeding in and accompl- accomplishing anything and what 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 we're arriving to right now and we're saying how come the Iranians that came to Sweden in the past 20 years are not like the Iranians who came in the seventies and eighties and nineties. And how come the people who are coming from Iraq and other countries around the world are not as accomplished as the Iranians. And the main answer that you actually find is educational background if your if your family has like a, a master's degree and phd degree then you're more likely to succeed and if your family has a phd and M master's degree they're more likely to push you just like your mother pushed you to to uh, do your phd and you know before my mom sent me off to uh, to sweden yeah. uh, she told me look i'm gonna send you to like the the best and most beautiful country in the world right now i'll let you go but if you don't have a PhD by the time you turn thirty, you're not my son. <laughs> I I turned thirty without a PhD, so I'm a bit of a I'm a huge disappointment to my mother, but I think education is definitely a huge uh groundstone for for why the <clears throat> Jews and the Jew Jews are very accomplished. And I, I think I always say this: Why can't we look up to the Jews? Not from a point of inferiority complex and say, go to hell, we'll kill you. But why can't we be like you? Why can't we be as accomplished? Why can't we go into science? And the answer to that is because we're more preoccupied with the Quran and Hadith and Sunnah. You know, I'm telling you, half of the books that I that I learned in, in, in school were about Muhammad. I don't care about Muhammad. Like, he's literally just a dude who came up with ideas and... <laughs> How many dudes have come about in history that have had their own ideas, but we're so focused on his ideas and thoughts and so obsessed with them that there is no way for us to actually progress. It's 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 really sad.
0: I hear you. Are you thinking of, given how it's starting to look quite bad in, in Sweden, I mean, certainly for Jews in Malmö, It's uniquely bad, as you probably know. But is it bad enough for you in Sweden that you're thinking of making the next hijra move? Hijra means immigration.
1: I I have been... Actually, my my partner has moved to another who is Swedish. He's left Sweden and he moves in another country. I won't disclose which country. So I find myself back and forth. Okay. And whenever I leave Sweden, I feel like oh my god, there's this like dark cloudness of insecurity that that uh, runs because actually, like I'm completely unknown to like to people, but in Sweden, a lot of people are aware of me because I've been on tv a bunch of times i've even stood in in, in swedish in a tv in swedish uh swedish television and debated a muslim and i told her uh, back then i was a bit more furious so I, I told her that islam is a danger to humanity and saying this in in, in sweden you know I, my inbox was flooded with death threats that night so i'm not very safe in, in sweden but i really don't care about you know uh that aspect what i do th- care about most is my ability to actually practice freedom of speech to be able to voice my opinions and thoughts because i actually came to europe in order to be able to do that and if if there's no if i cannot express myself in sweden or in the west then there's no reason to live
0: really do, would you ever consider not necessarily to permanently move back, but are is it safe for you to ever go back to Yemen or is Yemen off limits?
1: Yemen is absolutely off limits uh, to me. I mean, for for many reasons, there is a, um, you know, being an Islamophobe in Yemen is not just, you don't just have like leftists screaming at you, racist Islamophobe. You actually get knives slitting slit your throat by law. So it's it's not it's not an option for me. But I am a Swedish citizen, and I do think I'm actually thinking of like what country would be perfect for someone who is critical of Islam and wants to live safely. And that not is Canada,
0: like... not Canada. <laughs>
1: not Canada. <laughs> not Canada. No. Maybe there are certain areas and gated communities in Canada. Maybe gated
0: you... communities. But uh, I just I don't know if you saw earlier today one of my articles uh, was published uh, in uh, National Post. One of the the big Canadian uh, newspapers, where I was talking about, you know, the the Jew hatred that I escaped from in Lebanon, is now followed me to my university where, you know, the dynamics at my university are really, really not pretty for Jewish students, and certainly a high profile Jewish professor. Uh, So, you know, the reality is that people often think, That Oh, this problem is over there. I'm too busy buying my tomatoes. It's my daughter's graduation. I don't have time to worry about this until you have to worry about it. So, for example, many of my liberal Jewish friends who all along would have said to you, oh, my God, you're such an Islamophobe because my friend Ahmed is a lovely guy and he doesn't want to kill anybody. You clearly don't understand Islam, So right? Or they would say, I'm an Islamophobe and so on. Well, now, because their child is getting harassed and attacked at Columbia and Cornell, they're waking up and writing to me, dear Professor Saad, oh boy, I guess I should have listened to you. So in a sense, the tragedy is people don't wake up until it narcissistically affects them. Then they wake up, but then the problem is much too late to intervene, Right.
1: Yes, and it's like I have a story that I I told my friend about. Is that one of my followers and friends who I love very dearly? Now I went to university with her in Malmo, and at that time I started writing in in Swedish and being vocal about how migration policies are not the best in Sweden. And because of that, in 2018, it was so much more taboo back then in Sweden. So she started, she joined an Antifa group in, uh, or like she supported an Antifa group in university who called me a fascist and a far-right extremist for saying that Swedish migration policies are not working. And the questions that they asked me were like, oh, well, you're an immigrant, well, you're brown, well, you'll never be accepted by white people, which are just... Anyway, so she she was completely opposed to me, and she you know she they even bullied my friends at university. How can you be friends with that immigrant who is? Um, how can you be friends with an, a self hating immigrant who doesn't like migration, even though he's a, he's a migrant himself? Uh, two years later, she was almost killed by her family for dating a Swedish guy. And she sent me a message saying, "Hey, I, you're actually right, and I'm sorry for for how I treated you back then. But you're absolutely right. So even in an, in our own communities where nice. where we get killed and we get slaughtered by our own families, you really need to be hit in the face for you to realize that this affects human beings. And in 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 Sweden, in Sweden specifically, now there's this awakening in, in, by politicians and 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 journalists and the reason for that is also because the bombings and shootings stopped happening in the so-called no-go zones are and now are hap- happening in the finest areas of Stockholm where the politicians and the journalists reside. So now they cannot escape it. And now that they they fear for their lives and now that they fear for their children, now migration is a big issue. And it is, you know, every Swedish mouth and, and every Swedish politician speaks of it and journalist because it affects them directly. Otherwise they would not have cared. Even though people have been talking about the issues of migration for the past 30 years, but they've been labeled as, as you know, racist and far right.
0: Right. What what do you so I, I've put out recently several tweets that have gone, you know, really super viral, 10 million, 20 million, and so on. One of which, where I, I listed sort of nine steps that the West would have to follow in order to address the problem, all of which revolve around the idea of you know, you can't tolerate millions of people coming into your shores that don't share any of your foundational values. There are really only two, let's speak very, very frankly and openly, there are only two possibilities once those folks are in. Number one, through some magical process, like the general abrogation that we talked about earlier, where every single Muslim decides, hey, I'm done with this stuff. I'm going to abide by these cultural norms of my host nation. Or at some point, countries will have to say, sorry, you're simply inconsistent with what we have here. You pose an existential threat. It's called deportation en masse. Do you see either of those things happening? Or do you see, which frankly, I hate to say it, that's my pessimism speaking now, it's going to be a never-ending, increasing level of strife and conflict for the next 50, 100, 300 years. uh, And then it will be a bloodbath. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think like, honestly, I think that what's going to happen in, in Sweden, like Sweden is the extreme, like I said earlier, it's the extreme prime example of the West because it has taken the most amount of migrants and most am- amounts of of uh, Muslims. And it has also been the least successful country at integrating uh, migrants into the country. And I, I think what's going to happen in the coming 20, 30 years is just there's going to be a slow escalation of whatever the hell has been happening. Yeah. And I think that the, the Swedish Democrats were the right-wing political party, but according to every international media outlet it's the far right political party. They want like they're the far right according to the media, but their policy is we want to give people an incitement to go back to their countries by giving them 25,000 uh, dollars. Now they're speaking about if you, you know, commit major crimes like rape or murder, then it's it's a foundation for deportation. So what, what I once spoke to a, a Swedish, a far right Nazi political po- uh, politician, and I told him, OK, <laughs> so how, you, you want to deport all of the criminals and all of the people who are, you know, raping and committing crime. How many migrants in Sweden are actually committing crime crime? 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, like, I don't know, but like, let's say that it's 25,000 or 30,000. Okay. You deport 30,000. You're still taking in hundreds of thousands every year. The demographic change, according to Pew Research, Sweden will be around 30% Muslim by 2050. 2050, when you think of time and how time is extremely relevant. and
0: Demography is destiny.
1: Demography is destiny. So I do think that, that sadly, is that the demographic change that's happening in Sweden is going to flip the, the political climate upside down in ways that never happened in Sweden. And I, I do need to tell you about this political party in Sweden that's called Partiet uh, which which means like the party of nuance. And it is a (laughs) political, they really like coming up with creative political parties. But this party in specific, it has an Islamist agenda. They want to ban, you know, burning the Quran or insulting Islam, like put you in jail or, you know. And this party received around 30% of the public vote in the area, in Rinkibi and in the immigrant dominated areas. So the the areas where immigrants are highly populated in Sweden, thirty uh, percent, uh, uh, voted for this political party, and this party is right now the number one, uh, Palestine supporting party in Sweden. They have not yet entered the the, the parliament because you need four percent in order to enter the parliament, and they were only able to get one point five percent. But inshallah, but- it
0: will happen soon.
1: Inshallah, inshallah, it will happen soon. And I and and I think the demographic change is something that the Swedes and Europeans are going to slowly wake up to, and then they're going to start pushing on deportation and 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 kicking people. I think what we will what we will see is that we're going to start hearing people say, "If you do not pay taxes and you have had a, a citizenship." Then you also get deported. I think there will be much more of that, and I think what I fear is the rise of the Islamist, like the jihadi Islamist, and the rise of the far far right, the actual far right. right. Yes, yes and, yes, and I and I and I do think that. What scares me about Sweden, the creepiest thing about Sweden is that even though Sweden has the highest amount of uh, Muslim migrants in all of Europe per capita, Sweden has had the least amount of um, terror attacks and there and in Swedes usually like, you know hit their chest and think that that's a good thing. But I think, like, I'm convinced that it is a a strategy by the jihadis and the Islamists because they love Sweden. Sweden has been kissing Islamists' asses, sorry, for the past 30 years. You know, they've been pumping money into Islamic organizations and sending billions more money per capita to Palestine than any other country in in the West. They've also, one of the few countries that actually, recognized palestine like swedes are obsessed with islamic it's very exotic to them so they they want to pride themselves on now that they've let go of religion because you know around 90 percent of swedes are atheists atheist, or don't believe atheist, in god right. so now they have this new religion of actually adapting exotism and and and, and feminism and all these things so i do think that the islamists in sweden are really creepy because they're silent they're not doing anything because they're they're just. Pumping out babies, getting money from the social warfare and and they actually uh waging a war against the society, but a cold war
0: well, I don't know if you know that i i I know we speak you know somewhat different Arabic dialects you speak Yemeni Arabic I speak Lebanese Arabic, but you know what do you know what these words mean right so yes, the the Islamists <laughs> understand that right. They're Hanin, they're nas-nasin. So they can play your bullshit because they understand the Western mindset and then they play you. And as you know, the Muslim Brotherhood has said this. Omar um, uh, uh, Gaddafi has said this. Many other uh, Islamic leaders have said this. We're going to conquer the West in th- by three ways. We're going to conquer the West by the womb of our women. That's demography, that's fertility. We're going to conquer the West through Hijra immigration, and then we're going to conquer the West by using your miserable freedoms against you. And they're doing that perfectly. They're telling you what they're doing. And yet the West and Justin Trudeau and the rest of the imbeciles go, oh, but it's so exotic. My friend Ahmed, he's really lovely and he's peaceful. Therefore, Islam is peaceful. And I think until we're able to recognize the distinction between individual people, who could be nice or mean or whatever, and the tenets of Islam, which are not necessarily uh, congruent with Western values, we're only going to get into deeper trouble.
1: Absolutely. I also think it hangs along with the mass psychosis of believing that white people on the West are the the devil, the devil himself, and the atrocities that they've committed in history are unforgivable. So even if we take over their countries, even if the the, the West becomes an Islamist state, uh, Islamic Khilafah, they deserve it for all the atrocities that they've committed against, uh, uh, you know, by col- colonizing the bigger part of the world and etc. But hasn't the Islamic culture colonized the... I was biggest, just going to, to
0: say, of- so I put up, I don't know if you saw me, I put up, I said, hey, there are 57 Islamic countries and territories, if you include the Palestine territories within the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. each of those countries once upon a, 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 a once upon a time were, had zero Muslims and then magically one day became 99 percent 100 percent Islamic. How did that happen? Not every place we took out the heads of everybody, but certainly in many, many places it wasn't through giving out candies and yet people <laughs> don't get it.
1: No, they really don't. But you know, it's, it's like they really have to have an enemy to blame all of their issues on. And right now, it's the Jews. But when it's when anti-Semitism is not, you know, on the top of the agenda, it's white people that they hate so much. And the question, like, they all, they also bring slavery and how black people are treated. And it's like, I need you to go to Yemen and talk to Yemenis about black people because they don't say black people; they they say slaves. Abed. Like, like, yeah, Abed. So like, if you really want to talk about colonization and and a really horrendous view on human rights and humans, and you're trying to flog Western Westerners because of their history, look at the presence of the Arab world. Look at the presence of the Islamic world and how they treat their women and their Black people and the, and the LGBTQ community. It's, it's really exhausting.
0: It's unbelievable. Well, listen, uh, if we can find a way to very quickly clone you so we could have about uh, five, 10 million of you going around doing those video clips. We might have a chance. What a pleasure <laughs> to meet you! I-, I could continue talking to you for another five hours, but I'm I'm worried that my constant coughing is going. I'm-, I'm watch now. Go to the comments section after I post this. People won't talk about anything that we discuss. It'll be why couldn't you control your coughing, you bastard? Oh uh, no, I, don't know.
1: I want- I really want to thank you for actually doing this, even though you also you have a nasty cough. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. No, very that much.
0: was wonderful. Please keep doing what you're doing. Is there anything that you want to tell us about a, a, a next book that you're writing, a series, something that you want to promote? Please take it away before we say goodbye.
1: Well, I would say follow me on X uh, or uh, Twitter or TikTok, especially the coming week, because I will be visiting a specific holy land.
0: All right. Well, I look forward to that. It's at L-U-A-I Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D.
1: No, no. It's at Just Luai. Just Luai.
0: Sorry, sorry. You're right. You're right. So Just, J-U-S-T-L-U-A-I.
1: Yeah. And on TikTok, it's Just Luai Ahmed. So, yeah.
0: Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Stay on the line so we could say goodbye offline. Real pleasure to meet you. I look forward to seeing some of your future content. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Cheers.